This episode of the Flush Podcast is brought to you by Aluma Trailers, Waltons, Onyx Hunt, and by Nutrisource Pet Foods. Today I'm joined by Josh Miller, owner of Riverstone Kennels. Josh is a full-time dog trainer with a decorated list of achievements in the training and handling world, but his real passion is training people to train their own dogs. We'll discuss his new online system called the Retriever Roadmap to help you get the best dog you've ever had. Welcome to another episode of the Flush Podcast. I'm Travis Frank. I'll be your host today. Brandon Morton, you want to be the producer? I, yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> okay. Lucky so, me. All right. Sounds good. I feel like I introduce every show the exact same <laughs> way, so I thought I'd try something a little different this time. And I still sound shocked that you're talking to me every time, even though I'm expecting it. So, yeah. All right. All right. I appreciate everything you do, as always. Um, Brandon, so, oh, gosh, like my whole... Season is already made. 2020, the hunting season is already made. Last week, uh, talk, when we had Fred Bohm on the show, uh, we really dug into our personal stories hunting with kids. And I did mention that I was taking my kids out turkey hunting. Yes, you did. And uh, a couple others. Yes. Yeah, so opening day was Wednesday of last week in Minnesota. And I had a six-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a 10-year-old in the blind <laughs> with me. The 10-year-old is my nephew. The six- and seven-year-olds are my boys. Um, and the seven-year-old, Weston, he hunted last year as well. It was first time on the gun shooting. And opening morning, he harvested a big old tom at uh, like 8.15. Really? We go to the exact same spot this year. Put the blind in the same spot. We talk about where we're going to put the decoys, everything. So we're all set up a couple days before the opener. Wednesday morning, we sneak into the blind. It was kind of a misty, rainy morning and not ideal. No, cold. For, for turkeys. Yes. yes, exactly. You want warm sun. They love to come out and strut in that. Anyway, hear a couple gobbles in the distance, and then it went quiet. Same thing as last year. Every detail of the hunt almost played out exactly the same. Right a little bit before 8 o'clock, my youngest said, Dad, I'm ready to go in. And they're like, all right, we can go in. And both the older kids are like, Cash, if you didn't want to stay, you shouldn't have come. We're here to get a turkey. You know, so they're riding him pretty hard. He's like, I'll stay till eight o'clock. <clears throat> and I said, all right, we'll stay till eight. And then we'll head in. So eight o'clock comes and he goes, you know, I think I can stay a little bit longer. All right. So eight, 10, he goes, all right, I'm ready to go in. <laughs> so we, we pack everything up and we got the guns in the case and, and, uh, everything in the blind is zipped up. We walk out to grab the decoys and I'm not even one foot away from the decoy. And all of a sudden, go, 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 go. and it just like, it just rocked us. All of us looked at each other like, oh my gosh. I said, in the blind, get in the blind. So we all ran back into the blind, unzipped the case, got the gun loaded, got everybody ready, put the shooting sticks back up. And I go, ar, 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 ar. nothing. Ar, 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 ar. Nothing. And I said, just wait, just wait. And uh, all of a sudden I see through a pine tree, this big old Tom comes. I go, he's coming, he's coming. And that thing came on the exact same trail, doing the exact same thing as last year, and full strut, jumps on top, hammers the Jake decoy, and uh, my boy 
shoots and misses again. <laughs> put in another shell. Put in another shell. He gets so excited. He gets so excited. And I'm, I'm my heart's pumping. Yeah. My heart's pumping too. And second shot, missed him at 10 yards. Boom, drops him at 20 yards. Wow. I know. And the crowd goes wild. And, That's and we all celebrated. And it was just, oh, gosh, I can't even, I can't even explain the joy that comes from being out there in those moments. Like it is just the best. And we have, you know, we, we talked, took it to the, uh, the landowner that let us hunt and told the story, then went to the sporting goods store down the road and they hung up his picture on the wall of fame. Oh, and then, wow. yeah, I mean, it's just like, uh, it's just like the greatest thing ever for, uh, for all of us really. Yeah. And so, uh, um, you know, I mentioned, and our season has just started by the way. Um, it's already been made, but, it's, it's still ongoing. My nephew, we've had another, we've been out, you know, trying to get him a bird and, uh, my youngest cash, you know, six year old, you know, he's, I told the story about how he uh, got scared by the 20 gauge and the kick after he didn't have it, you know, up against his yep. shoulder and he, you know, it's stuck in his mind. So one of my, one of my friends that I haven't seen in a couple of years was listening to our podcast from last week and he sent me a text and he said, I have a 410 for cash, a youth 410. So this morning at 7 a.m., he stops by our house with this gun. And I told Cash, I go, Cash, I have a shotgun for you that won't kick. Oh, that's awesome. And his eyes got so big and his smile on his face. And I said, do you want to try it? And he goes, yeah. So... Theo Stalk, my buddy, brings this gun over. And uh, so I'm excited that either today or tomorrow we're going to go out and shoot. Wow. And now, you know, Cash may, may join uh, his older brother in the turkey blind as the gunner. Wow. And, and now he's got more incentive to stay that extra 10 minutes. We'll see. And not, well, I mean, <laughs> we'll hey, there's see. an incentive. We'll yeah. see if it works or not. But yeah, that's fantastic. That's a lot of fun. It is. It's that's a lot of fun. really cool. Two for two on opening day gobblers for, for my, my oldest son, Weston. And now he, he struts around. He's like, well, next year I might get it in one shot. (laughs) I'm amazed. I'm amazed because if I shot at a bird, you know, there's no way it would stop and then go back to strut again, but all of it has come in and that's just how it plays out. So, um, I, I've heard from a, uh, actually a handful of listeners in the past couple of weeks that say they enjoy hearing about these kind of stories about the kids. Yeah. And I love telling them, obviously it's, you know, this is turkey season. And I've mentioned over the past couple of years now, how nice it is to have this hunting season where you can take kids along and give them the opportunity to hunt at an earlier age. Yeah. And, uh, I, I just recommend it. You know, I mean, I had three kids in the blind and bring snacks. You know, we had a, a little buddy heater out there. Is that, would that be like your go-to, like if you're going to introduce a, a kid to hunting, would that be your number one, like turkey hunting or what would you start a kid in? Like, what would you think is best for a kid to do? Well, so different States have different laws on when they can legally shoot and depending on, you know, the species you're targeting, but here in Minnesota, there's no age law on how how young. So, you know, we did a lot of practicing prior, a lot of shooting with the kids, you know, through the years we started BB gun, 22 shotguns. And now they're, you know, like Wes and my oldest, he's a really good shot and really confident. And then I asked him if he was ready and he wanted to try to hunt. And he's like, Oh yeah. I mean, it was, there's no doubt about it. So he's no hesitation, ready to rock. And 
You know, like he sticks it out. And even after he got his bird, you know, he's coming the next couple of days, 5 a.m. We're out there, oh, you know, with, with his nephew. And he's just as excited to watch Kingston, my nephew, have a shot. And um, so I think turkey is nice because, one, they can shoot. But, two, I'm right there. Yeah. Literally right there over their shoulder, whispering in their ear, talking to them. They can talk to the birds. They're calling. You know, I've taught them how to do the slate call and the box call. They're not on the diaphragm yet. I, I do do some calling too, but like they actually get the chance to call and talk and interact with the bird. And there's something cool about that when you're actually right. interacting. Um, so I just think turkey hunting is just such a, a great way to introduce them, but also anybody to it. And then, you know, like we mentioned again and again over the years, any opportunity to take them out, don't, don't miss it. Just let them walk with if, you know, they're not ready to shoot a, at a flying bird in, you know, a pheasant field. That's okay, but they can still be there yeah. and come. Get that morning routine, you know, watch in there the getting dogs. up early. Yeah, yeah. watch, you know, especially because, like, Weston and Cash, I mean, they snuggle up with Daisy at night. They they have bunk beds in their room, and Daisy sleeps on the bed with them, you know. And it's <laughs> like, oh, you know, to watch her out there just dominate in the field, it's cool for That's them really to watch cool. her do her thing and bring a bird back. And it's just like, it's it's normal life for them, and uh, it's exciting. So I don't think there's a wrong way to do it. I just love this time of the year. Awesome. Um, and, you know, we've got several more weeks. Maybe, hey, if you want to come back. I, don't know, I know. I'm just like, where's my invite? <laughs> I, know, I, I, was, know. I was maybe got... hinting a little bit like, hey, maybe not a kid, but me. How's yeah, it? <laughs> yes, I do. Have, I have two other adults that have never Perfect. never hunted that are going out this year. So, yeah, um, yeah I, I've just got to pile up enough spots to take everybody. Everybody wants to go. Everybody I get does. It. I totally I get it. I put, myself, I put myself last in the order of, you know, who gets to go. Last year, I just bought a tag on the last season and I told my wife on a Friday night, I'm like, I'm going to go out in the morning. And fortunately it worked out. I, I, I brought my, um, my fan out and I fanned a bird and my hunt was over in 15 minutes. It was ran me over five, five foot shot. (laughs) The excitement in this office around turkey hunting season is crazy. I've just, this is like my second or I think my third year around the office at this time of year. And it's just, everybody's just so happy and giddy and excited. It's it's something to be seen. I know. Like I, every day that I, that I can get the kids out, I'm doing it. Scott right now is at Turkey Camp, Scott Franz, and Ron Shera is heading out to the Black Hills, I think, in the next day or two. Yeah, he just did a Minnesota Bound episode on uh, turkey go. hunting. Yeah, so, yeah, you know. and there's a couple of our sales guys are going out uh, Thursday, I think. Bill goes out, Bill Shirk, he takes his kids out. It's, I mean... It's the thing to do. It's the thing to do. Josh, uh, Josh our guest, he... Uh, is leaving. Josh, you can you can join the conversation. Sorry to, to ramble for so long. I didn't know it was going to go that long. But Josh Miller is our guest today. Uh, Josh, when are you going turkey hunting? Well, our season here in Wisconsin actually starts tomorrow. Uh, so I am stoked about that. Uh, I think it sounds like I'm just excited about uh, turkey season as you guys are over in the office. Yeah. But um, but I I so I start off my season here in Wisconsin tomorrow. Uh, then next week I will be in Wyoming. Um, you know, possibly um, you know, hit another state if I can get another tag in that area out there, and then uh, come back. And yeah, you know, I, I usually try to do a, a Missouri trip as well. I really like Missouri, uh, but man, turkey season. I don't know if it's about you know the the break that we've had over the last few months. You know, the wanting to be outside. The what it is. Um, I mean, turkeys themselves. It's like you know. 
it's as close to elk hunting as you can get between the communication and the movement and, you know, the, the, the chase. And, um, but man, like Travis, like so fun listening to the kid aspect of things for, for so many reasons. Right. But, um, I'm actually, one of the things I'm really looking forward to is, you know, through the kennel, we've had some great kids come through, you know, we hire high school kids, you know, from, you know, sophomore, junior, senior, you know, kids uh, to come out and they handle chores and they start to kind of learn what, you know, what the dogs are all about. And what's so fun about this is that we've now had numerous kids that don't come from hunting families that likely never would have picked up a gun or hunted in their life that they get into it and become outdoorsmen and hunters themselves through the kennel, you know, because the dogs make the first connection, you know, which is, you know, they, they connect with the dogs it gets them sucked in. And then, all of a sudden it's like, hey, you know, can I go see what Daisy does out in the field? And hey, can I go watch, you know, Brock go, or you know, I, don't, I just want to see what he does. And then all of a sudden that's cool. And uh, so this kid that I'm taking out um, here this weekend, uh, so he actually went on his first ever hunt with me, uh, waterfall hunting this year. And I kind of spoiled him because just how things worked out. Um, I took him down to Arkansas to my lease down in Arkansas. So we hunted the timber. And of course it, it was just, it happened right, right? We just had, oh, we had 50 hours breaking branches. Hunt. Oh, gosh. It was like, and, and, you know, he's just ecstatic. And, you know, one of the camera guys that comes with me all the time, he, he like, grabbed him by the shoulder and he goes, I want you to know it isn't all like this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just, like, setting the scene of, like, you can't get too excited, uh, you know, for, like, every hunt isn't like this. But I totally agree with you on the, the turkey side of thing of getting, you know, kids involved. I think part of it has to do with the weather, right? Like it's just warmer, it's more comfortable. You're not freezing your tail off. You know, you can get away with talking, you can get away with moving, kind of being somewhat social, but yet, you know, they're learning and can observe everything. Um, it's really unique. You know, it's really a, a fun opportunity in the spring to you know get those kids out and get them you know involved. Yeah, totally. I mentioned last week how. I brought my kids real early, you know, they were three years old. They, they started coming out into the turkey blind just to hear them. You know, the first hunt didn't last more than 15 minutes. The birds never left the roost and we already left the blind, but it just like, you know, it did something when they heard the birds talking and then clearly it's, it's carried now over the last couple of years. I mean, they're, they're, they're all crazy about the birds. And so is my little girl. We have a, a special turkey date coming up. My daughter, she's four and she, I was like, I, her level of, uh, patience is not where the boys are yet. Uh, and I knew our chances were going to be good on opener. And I said, honey, we're going to go do our own special hunt. Cause I wanted her to be able to go, but I also knew that her likelihood of staying till let's say seven thirty, eight o'clock was not very high. Um, so she's just going to come and, and be a part of it. Um, Josh, you've got a couple young kids though. I, are you I mean, how soon do you think before you'll be bringing them along? Yeah, I do. So I have, uh, so Ava is my daughter and uh, she just turned three. And then uh, Colt is my son and he is one and a half. And man, like, it, it'll definitely be sooner than later. Like I've kind of kicked around. Uh, I think Ava and I will probably just like maybe take some walks, um, you know, in the afternoons on these warm days and try to get, you know, some birds to talk to us. But what's fun about where we live. So, you know, on our farm here in Western Wisconsin, 
we have turkeys all over the place. And so we literally watch the turkeys every morning before we go to school out the window. Um, I mean, I have, you know, Cole to the year and a half. I mean, he's sitting there, you know, trying to yell out the window and trying to pop, pop, pop. And he's trying to do his like gobble, gobble, gobble. You know, he's trying to get him to talk to him. And, um, and it has been actually something uh, just because it's around us. Ava has loved doing this since the time she was, you know, really kind of that, that one and a half and really able to understand what, what all was going on. Um, yeah. And, but it's just a part of our life. You know, we have, I, I have a strategic food plot planted outside of one of our big windows in our living room, just so we can wake up and, and watch the deer. And we literally do it every day. I mean, we, every day we get dressed and we go sit by the window and we might have some breakfast, but we watch the deer and um, yeah, it's, it's really a fun thing. And, you know, we've gotten to the point, my favorite part of, uh, of fishing season last year was uh, when we have a cabin on a lake where uh, there are a lot of musky in the lake. And when the muskies were up to spawn, um, we just have uh, you know, a pontoon that I would put around and I'd kind of go in the shallows. And the fun that we had just going to watch and see the muskies, uh, it was incredible. And so what's so fun about this, this, this youth energy to me is that it really reminds you, you know, why this is so important and so impactful to you, right? Like it's, it's not about pulling the trigger. It's not about, you know, going and killing something. I mean, it's about, you know, these memories and it's about getting out and, and enjoying, you know, the gifts that have been given to us. And, um, there's something about these kids, man, that it just, it, it, it unfogs you and it really, you know, lets you appreciate things for what they are. And it's, it's a very impactful thing. It's an impactful lens to be able to, to, you know, look through. And I'm just fortunate to have it right now. Yeah, we both are. That's very well said. <clears throat> I, I can't say that I've even considered, you know, my own hunt yet this year, <laughs> you know, like it's so far from, mm-hmm priority for me. It's like, how can I make it more comfortable out there? How, when can we go? I'm working around school schedules and kids and birthday parties and things like that to try to sneak in a hunt here and there for them. And, you know, like I just, I just, uh, want to make it special in so many ways. And, you know, it always goes completely different from what I planned, but that's exactly the way that it's supposed to go. And the experiences are just, they're so much fun. You got a lot of fun coming up, Josh. And I know a lot of our listeners obviously have been there or are going to be there as well. So hopefully this resonates to continue. I mean, we, we've talked about this a lot, so hopefully it's not becoming annoying to listen to, but just the, you know, the fun of getting kids out so early on in life. Let's get into the dog, the dog training conversation, Josh, because we're going to fly. I mean, there's so much for us to, to talk about. Um, we have uh, spent a lot of time talking about pointing breeds, training with different pointing breed dogs. Uh, and that's because I have a, a dog that is a pointer. I mean, she's a mix between an English setter and a German short hair. I've trained with the Huntsmith uh, training, silent command training system. George Lyle and I, we did a, a podcast about a month ago, maybe a little bit more than that. I don't know. But uh, I continue to hear feedback about that. People want more more information like we dug into that day. And we'll continue to do that. But I thought it would be nice to have you on as a guest because you, you've got experience in, in flushing breeds as well as pointing breeds. But right now your focus is on flushers, on retrievers. And you just came out with the new 
uh, retriever roadmap online training system for people to use. So um, I really want to dig into retrievers and flushing breeds uh, with you today. I, I think it might be helpful to uh, for people that don't already know you, maybe build a little credibility for you and uh, have you explain a little bit of your history, your background in dog training. So uh, first off, you know, when did you start training dogs and why? Yeah, so that, that's a great question, a great place to start because um, I, it's funny, I don't, I didn't grow up in a dog family, you know, like we had two labs, but they didn't hunt. Um, you know, my dad was a deer hunter, you know, not really a big bird hunter at all. And um, yeah, it was just, it was something that uh, I, I kind of was, I was like to kind of jokingly say I was kind of the black sheep of my family when it came, you know, to the, the hunting you know, side of it, because my family is a big deer hunting family. And for whatever reason, like I just gravitated towards waterfowl. Like I just, I loved watching, you know, ducks work. And I just think it's amazing, you know, watching them and how they move and how they, you know, come through the air and how they sit down, how they communicate. I love the communication side of things. And uh, my, my grandfather had a cabin up in Northern Wisconsin and he had, it was like 40 acres across the road, but he was on a lake. And so what ended up happening because I fell in love with waterfowl is that, you know, we would go up there for a weekend, you know, we'd get up in the morning and my dad and brothers and my uncle would, you know, go out the back door and, um, you know, go to, out across the street and go deer hunt. And I would go, go down to the lake and paddle out on my little skiff and go attempt to, uh, you know, to call in a duck and try to get a shot. And I was unsuccessful more times than not because I had no <laughs> idea what I was doing. Um, but that's, that's where my passion, you know, really started. And then from there, I really wanted someone to do this with. And, you know, the dog was, was, you know, the obvious choice for me. And so um, that first dog, man, his name was Easton. And uh, Easton was the most impactful being that I've ever had in my life. Um, and I know that's, that's a very, very significant thing to say uh, about a dog, but that's what he was to me. And so, um, you know, when I got Easton, I got him exactly how I preach not to buy a dog today. <laughs> so I, uh, I saved up, uh, actually umpire little league games over the summer, uh, saved up my money, you know, found somewhere in a newspaper that had, you know, a litter of puppies for sale and went and I picked up a puppy and it was by nothing but the grace of God that he was the level of a dog that he was because his parents, you know, they weren't anything special. It wasn't like, he's just that one in a million. And I just enjoyed working with him. So I read every book, watched every DVD. Um, I have uh, an obsessive personality where if I do something, I want to do it the best. And so that really drove me. And, um, you know, I, I was in, I was a three sport athlete in high school. So really my, my free time, I was working with Easton. And, uh, so as, as fate would have it, I was actually in, uh, so in Woodbury, Minnesota, they used to have a, uh, sportsman's warehouse. Yep. And I was in that store and I was in the dog aisle, just kind of looking at dog stuff. I couldn't afford anything there, but I like to go look at it. Um, and uh, there was a guy that I you know, just met. He was also in the dog aisle. Well, that guy ended up being the secretary of the retriever club that was not too far from my house. And so, you know, he sees a young kid and yeah, I think I was probably 17 at the time. 
And, uh, you know, so he starts asking me questions about my dog and, you know, what I'm doing and all stuff. Well, he's like, man, like you got to, you got to bring him out and just do a training day with us. And so he convinced me to come out. Um, I remember driving over there just nervous as all get out. You know, I have no idea. Again, I, like I'm the only person I even know that owns a hunting dog. Like I didn't even know this was a, a, really a thing. And uh, so I get over there and start running my dog. And I had no idea the level of training that e- that Easton was. Um, so he was running with all their master level dogs and he was he was standing out like he was looking really good and they're like, Oh my gosh, like you gotta, you gotta do this. You gotta do this. Well, they had what they called a fun trial, um, coming up, which was just basically a field trial they were putting on that, you know, didn't count towards anything, but it, uh, you know, it was to try to get people into the sport. So, uh, they convinced me to run him in that and I ran and, uh, I got a, uh, well, we, we won it and got a little blue ribbon, which was the most expensive thing that I've ever been given in my life. Uh, because that, from that point forward, I, this is all I wanted to do. And so, um, yeah, from that point forward. And, uh, and so it, uh, it was, it was really interesting, you know, kind of going from there because, um, you know, you just, you start all of a sudden people are like, Hey, would you train my dog? Would you train my dog? And, and I never did one because I was living with my parents. I'm in high school. Um, and then two, I didn't really know what I was doing. You know, like I kind of pieced my way through it with, you know, the books and the DVDs, but I didn't know. And so, uh, what I started doing then specifically when I, when I went to college was I started, um, networking and trying to get into apprentice under, uh, different trainers over the summers. And, uh, most of the time this was all unpaid. You'd go volunteer your time, you work your tail off. And my, my thing was I wanted to work harder than any paid employee that was there so that they, you know, these guys understood what, like what this meant to me, right? Like I, you're, you're allowing me to be here. I want to be of assistance, you know, so I'm scooping kennels and I'm doing all the grunt work and I did all the smile on my face. And, um, man, like it, it led me to some of the best relationships that I have today. You know, you, you mentioned the Huntsmith, um, you know, method, like uh, Rick, Ronnie and Delmer Smith are all, or those, those three people right there are incredibly significant people in my life. George Lyle, who you talked about, uh, I became a friend with, you know, with George through, uh, uh, one of Rick's seminars, you know, we just met and, and hit it off. And so it's just really interesting, you know, kind of how this whole thing evolved. Well, after years of doing that, you know, I start the kennel. Um, yeah, I train. I did this, you know, with seven different guys, you know, who I really identify with. And there was more than that, even that that helped me out, and um, you know, have been significant impacts in my life for sure. Um, but you know, seven guys that really were like, hey, like I, I worked for these guys, and I learned under these guys. And the reason I wanted to do that is that, to me, even in the short time that I was in it, like I'd see people that like came into the game. And then left, and then they come in, and then they leave. And the way that I saw it, you know, from where, where I was was like, well, if you have one way of doing something, and you're working with animals, like not everyone's going to fit into that cookie cutter. And so, what happens when they don't? You know, I, I wanted to have answers. You know, I wanted to have, in my opinion, all right. So I've got seven guys. They all do things differently. I want to pick and choose my favorite way of doing it. But I also want to have at least six other ways in my back pocket that if that if my favorite way doesn't work, I can go to at the drop of a hat. Yeah, that's to me what makes a successful dog trainer is you 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 communicate in the best way that the dog listens, and not all dogs are the same. And so um, 
Anyway, start the kennel. Um, I remember starting the kennel, and there was a guy by the name of Rick Grant who was in southern Wisconsin, uh, ran retriever tests and trials, learned a lot from Rick. Great, great person. Um, but uh, I had just bought a house. I had a pole shed. I was trying to make work for the kennel, and I couldn't I couldn't afford kenneling. If you, I don't know if you know how expensive chain link kenneling is, but it's like I had no idea, you know, <laughs> so I'm like, I can't even afford the kennels. And so um, – Anyway, I, uh, Rick called me, he knew I was going through this and he called me and he goes, Hey man, like, here's the deal is that I believe in you. I think you're going to go do special things. I think you're going to go be very successful and you need to start. So here's what I can do. I have six outdoor kennel runs. They are rusty. They are old, but if you want them, you can come disassemble them and you can have them. Wow. And I, I couldn't, man, I couldn't that dude, like life changing. Like it was such, to him, it was probably nothing, right? But to me, it literally changed my life. And uh, so I get goosebumps talking about it because it's just, man, it's, it's crazy to think back on that. And so anyway, I couldn't borrow a trailer fast enough, went down there, disassembled the kennels, brought them back, assembled them back in my, uh, my, my pole shed. And I literally spent, it had to have been, you know, more than a week, probably two weeks. And I was, I was filing each chain link to try to make it as presentable as possible. Like I didn't want it rusty. I wanted it to look nice. And so I'm trying to like make this thing look as presentable as possible. So took forever, uh, did that, had them all up. And the, the biggest point of this, this process that I remember is that after the fact, I was standing back looking at the kennels in my shed and I was just like in my own world. And I just like, all of a sudden Whitney, who is my wife now, um, you know, at the time she was my fiance and she comes in and she goes, uh, what are you thinking about? And I, I like came out of my days and I looked at him like, wait, like how are we ever going to get six dogs into train? Like it was just like mind boggling to me that we would ever have that. And, uh, you know, fast forward to today, um, we have a 36 run kennel that, um, is full all year round. We have dogs that come in from literally all over the country, all over the world. Uh, we sent, uh, last year we had dogs in from, uh, British Columbia, Alaska, Russia. Um, we had Alberta, we had California. I mean, like, I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, most of the dogs get flown in now. It's not, not even local people. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. You know, when I, when I started the kennel, I literally called all the guys that I, that I worked for. And I was like, look, if you don't want a dog, I'll take them, you know, like, so I got, man, I got every nutcase from you know, <laughs> dogs were aggressive to like dogs that like, it was like, it was unbelievable. But the lessons that those dogs taught me, you know, I like, I, I had to grind, right? If this is going to work, I got to make this work. And so I had to take these dogs that nobody else wanted and go do stuff with them. And some of my proudest moments were from those dogs. And so, um, yeah, it's it's really fun, kind of you know, looking back on that, and the whole time you know I tested and I, I trialed my dogs and um, you know was being successful with it. But I had a point that one of those guys, I won't use his name, but one of those guys, you made a comment to me, which was he's like, Josh, you'll never see a guy that is a retriever, you know, guy that will go trial also in pointing dogs or vice versa. He said they're just too different. You know, you'll never see that. And uh, you took that as a challenge, whatever, didn't you? Oh my gosh, man. Like for whatever reason, my, my competitive bone just like shook and I'm like, all right, well this is happening. And, uh, so anyway, I had, uh, I had a setter that I, I got with this in mind. Um, 
And you know, if you're a setter guy, you probably know the name uh, Shadow Oak Bow. Um, this was a bow puppy. And so I got uh, this bow puppy. His name's Ranger. And uh, I was going to go all in on it. You know, so I, uh, I ended up, I bought a horse. Um, that horse taught me a lot because he was not what he should have been. <laughs> and so I'm like, I'm trying to stay in the saddle while also handle dogs. You really so, do go um, all in when you go in, don't you? <laughs> uh, my, oh my gosh. My wife will like, if she, I wish she could hear you say that. Cause she would like be rolling her eyes being like, you have no idea. Like I can't just <laughs> dip a toe in. So I started with one horse, one dog and man, I would pull into these trials. I would literally shovel the horse poop out the back, set up a cot, and I would lay in there with Ranger, and I would either freeze my tail off or sweat my tail off, one of the two. We would trial, and then you will go home. And uh, Ranger ended up being a stud, which led to a number of things. Like I had um, a short hair named Pancakes that was a a client dog, that that dog was a complete badass too. Um, I mean, these dogs like Ranger and Pancakes – we went all around the Midwest, and for the most part, it wasn't a question of, of if one of them was going to win. It was which one, and the other one was going to take second. Wow. Um, and then, so, two, well, two years later, after starting this thing with one dog and one horse, uh, I was running 12 dogs. I had four horses. I had um, a trailer that couldn't fit all of them in there, and I, I played Tetris to make it all work. Um, you know, and, and man, like, loved it. I really did. I loved it. I had a super successful uh, trial career in the pointing dogs. But, man, it just, like, it, it got to be a lot, you know, because, like, when you're doing both, it's like, okay, so you got to have your big retriever set up. And then you got to take all that stuff down and reset and get the horses and get them ready and get like, it was just like, it got to be a lot. And so um, I kind of filtered back into what my bread and butter was, which was my retrievers. Um, and I've been doing that uh, pretty much exclusively ever since. And uh, and I, I love it, man. Yeah, I, I breed uh, British labs. Uh, so I spend, a, well, before COVID anyway, um, I'll be going back overseas this year, but uh, before COVID, uh, I would spend anywhere from two to three trips a year, go overseas, try to find the right dogs, bring them over, be a part of the breeding program. And, um, you know, we, we might not have time to dig into all that, but that's a whole nother thing in itself of, you know, why I went that route and um, the dogs I brought over and why I have them. But uh, man, it's it's been a, a wild ride. Our friends at Waltons are celebrating this month because they just launched an updated website to make shopping for all of your wild game and food processing needs so much easier. And to celebrate, they're giving away a Waltons chambered vacuum sealer, an assortment of Waltons vacuum bags, an apron, and a collection of seasoning shakers, all valued at over $1,300. The best part? They have giveaways like this each and every month. This is just one of the many ways Jonathan Tremblay and the family at Waltons try to help you make the most of your meat processing and cooking needs. They also host podcasts, live streams, and online chats in their Meatgistics University. Waltons.com has over 5,000 items on their site, in stock and ready to ship the same day. From grinders, mixers, stuffers, slicers, smokers, vacuum sealers, seasonings, and so much more. Head to Waltons.com to sign up for their giveaway and shop from the comfort of your home or anywhere in the field. Waltons, they have everything but the meat. Aluma trailers, 
They've got you covered. Their trailers are built by a hardworking team in Bancroft, Iowa. They have models for nearly any and every hauling need, from ATV and UTV trailers to utility, snowmobile, motorcycle, car trailers, and even fully enclosed trailers like mine. Trust me when I say Aluma trailers tow gear like a dream, and they are 100% maintenance-free. Plus, they come with an industry-best five-year warranty. Visit alumakln.com to find a trailer that fits your needs. For everything that gets you outdoors, Aluma Trailers will help you get there. Just to jump into that, I mean, can you sum up mm-hmm. in, you know, we could, I'm sure, dig into that a lot, but like, why do you go all the way over to Europe to find a dog instead of just finding a, a bloodline here that you like? Yeah, no, great question. Okay, so so here here's kind of the the quick version of the story that I like to tell on this, and it won't be crazy quick, but it'll be quick enough. Um, so when I was training, so go back to you know when I was you know excuse me in the pole shed, you know taking these dogs in. Um, I hated British Labs. I mean, like I, they were not my thing. Um, the British Labs that I were that I was you know seeing come in for training, they had no motor. They didn't want, they didn't have a ton of retrieve drive. They didn't want. And so for me as a trainer, yeah, you know, I'm sitting here going, well, what the heck? Like I got to have something to work with, you know? Yeah. Um, and, but I was, you know, I was seeing them kind of here and there. And so over the first couple of years, you know, I, I had that opinion. Then all of a sudden I saw a good one and, and I've, I, I talk about this a lot, but like we all have breeds that we love. And if we are all honest with each other, we all have breeds that we're not crazy about, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But but even it, but even if there's a breed you're not crazy about, if you see a good one, it piques your interest, yeah. right? You're like, oh, like what's what's you know, what's different here, right? Um, so I did that, you know, and it piqued my interest with that dog. And that dog was a fantastic dog. Bull was his name. I still remember that that name. That was like, man, that was like 14 years ago, um, you know. But yeah, Bull was his name. I loved that dog, and uh, so then you know, I don't know, a couple months later, yeah, I see another one that I really like. I'm like, huh. Well, ironically enough is from the same breeder. So I'm like, all right, you know, my, my dog nerd in me is like geeking out. Right. And I'm like, all right, I got I got to know more about this. So I, uh, I get on the phone, call this guy and, uh, go over like, you know, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? Like, yeah, this isn't what I'm normally seeing, blah, blah, blah. blah. So I'd pick his brain for hours. So I hang up the phone and Travis to your point, I can't ever just dip my toe into something because the next thing that I did is I went online. Uh, I found a field trial that was going to be going on over in Scotland and I booked a plane ticket. No, I have no idea, <laughs> no idea Jeez. where I'm going, why I'm doing it. But luckily I had some guidance through, you know, through this, this guy I talked to of like, Hey, like this is, this is what you look for. This is what you do. This is you know, kind of how the process goes. Right. So, um, go through that, get overseas and, uh, man, like, I stick out like a sore thumb, right? Like I'm the only American that's there. Um, I'm the only one that's not in tweed. I'm the only say, one. You're, you're like, I didn't dress in, in uh, you know, the, the knickers or whatever they call those pants. No, yeah, no, I didn't. But what I did know is I was, I was in an uh, incredible place. Like if you've ever been in Scotland, it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, and so where this trial was actually being held was in the very north end of Scotland, like very remote. And so uh, the little hotel that we were staying at was like, like a little hotel pub. And what was neat is that everyone involved with the trial was, was staying there because 
it's the only place to stay. And so um, anyway, so we go to the grounds and you know, again, luckily I had some guidance and got you know hooked up with someone kind of, you know, show me around a little bit. And um, I remember there was a, a lady there, super nice lady. And, uh, you know, she said good morning to me. And I think I said, you know, good morning. And she stopped right away. She goes, well, you're not from around here, you know, <laughs> with my you know, American accent. And uh, I was like, no, yeah, I'm, I'm really trying to you know, just see what's going on. And she's like, well, she's like, I have a job for you if you want it. And I was like, yeah, she's like, you can carry the game. So what that means is that um, their field trials overseas are all done on live hunts. And so as these birds get shot, they need people to you know, carry the dead game. Um, so I, I didn't know it, but it was basically, you know, she was like comically, you know, signing me up for the grunt, you know, position. Um, but it was great because you just it put went over me to, right at the to front. be an observer, right? Right. Yeah. I had no idea that I was going to be doing, you know, this stuff. Right. So I thought I was going to stand in the gallery in the back, just try to see what I could see. Well, by accepting this, this role, it put me right up front. It put me right by the judges, right by the handlers, got to watch everything. Like I loved it. I loved it. And so I'm walking through this trial and there are a couple points that really stuck out to me. So the first thing was like, I love the live hunt aspect because, you know, here, you know, when we test your trial here, it's all on cold game, right? So it's like, it's, you know, dead birds being thrown from wingers, you know, things like that. It's all set up, right? Where on this, like no two retrieves are the same. I mean, it's, it's really a neat thing. So I love that aspect of it because, you know, the hunter in me wants to see a hunting dog have yeah. to hunt in hunting situations, right? So I love that. Um, the, the, the first thing that really stood out to me is there was, there was one bird that got shot, sailed into like this pine grove and this little female, little yellow female got sent for it. And she went, she cleared this fence. It was like a, uh, it's like a four strand to think of a four strain of barbed wire fence, but with no barbs. And so she clears this fence, goes, disappears, comes back with this big rooster in her mouth. And she jumps with the rooster in her mouth to jump the fence again. And she jumps and her back two uh, paws landed on the third strand, her front two on the top strand. She sat there and like back and forth and back and forth, you know, how like the, uh, the, the strands will move. Yeah. And she stood there with that bird in her mouth until the strands calmed down and stopped. And then she jumped over and finished the retrieve. And I was like, gosh, like that's pretty dang athletic. Yeah. Right. Um, then you start kind of going through and like, I was noticing that when, you know, when the birds would get back that these judges would like, Man, they, it was like a fine-tooth comb. Like, they're feeling it, and they're looking at it, and they're, like, examining it. So what I later found out was that, you know, these you know, over overseas, it, we don't they don't have the, the public hunting ass access that we do, right? So it's kind of an elitist thing. It's, you know, you, they're on these big estates, and there's a lot of money that goes into it. And so what I learned was that the birds that were shot on these, these, uh, these hunts, they went to game, or they went to, uh, the game went to market, and then help pay for you know everything to go on. And so if there was one thing that was damaged by the dog in any way, the dog was disqualified and that bird beat couldn't be used at market. And so, man, I'm talking like one little puncture. Wow. They're, they're feeling for broken ribs. They're feeling for anything that that dog could have done. So a soft mouth is incredibly important, right? Like you, you don't make it without it. And so I'm like, gosh, like, I really, really like that because, you know, like here, like not, you, you, you watch dogs be choppy, you know, and it's just like, it's, it's just not examined like it is there. So I really like that. And then the last thing at the trial that I saw that I really, really liked was I watched the whole thing happen. So I was standing right there is that, uh, 
we're kind of sitting there at a point and the judges are kind of, you know, telling everybody how, how, you know, we're, how we're all going to move. You know, of course, everybody has to be safe because you have the, the gun. So here's how we're going to move. Here's how we're going to push this one field. And uh, the dog sitting literally right next to me yawns. And at the end of the yawn, you know how dogs do. They're like, yeah. Ugh. And the judge looked at me and said, he's out. And I was like, what? Whoa. And so I learned there that no vocalization is acceptable. And I'm like, oh gosh, I love that. You know, because as a waterfall guy, I don't want to sit in a field or I don't want to sit in a, a blind that's like, you know, dogs are whining, dogs are being vocal, dogs are, you know, doing anything, right? Like I want calm and quiet. And so, so many things I'm like, oh my gosh. So after that day, I go back to the hotel, I go to my, my room and I shower and I'm just like, I'm just, I cannot stop thinking about all this that I saw today. Like it was like, I was trying to drink out of a firehouse because there was so much that I wasn't expecting that I was observing. So I come down, um, come down the stairs, go in the lobby. And like I said, there's a little pub attached to it. So I walk in the pub and if you can picture walking through the door, the bar is shaped like in a big L. So like on your right hand side, it would kind of go out and then the long L would kind of go away from you. And as I walked in, I saw all the handlers that I had just watched all day sitting at the bar stools and they're all kind of, you know, talking and just socializing. So I'm trying to figure out where I'm going to sit down. I kind of walk around, you know, that bend in the L of the bar and I turn, I stopped and I'm looking and all the dogs I just watched compete are laying at the bar stools, just laying there, just calm and quiet and just like perfect members of society. And I'm like that right there, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Cause I'm like, this is what people want. It's not like, you know, when I compete here, it's, you know, barking in the trailers. It's like, you know, all this chaos, like you could never do this, right? Like this is what people want. People want to have the dog that's athletic in the field, that's supernatural, that has all the talent, that does all that. But at the end of the day, when you're done, you want the dog to come be a member of the family. Right. You want the dog to be calm and chill. You want, like this dog right here that's laying at this bar stool is going to get to go more places and do more things and have a more fulfilled life because of their temperament, because of who they are, right? Like you just can't take a dog that is jumping all over the place, is being vocal, is being anxious, is being like, you can't do that. And so, um, so mine is blown, right? So I sat down and uh, I was sitting next to a guy named Tom who later became a very, very close friend of mine. Um, and uh, we're sitting there talking and all night, like I'm, I'm kind of picking his brain and he's like, you know, one of the, one of the guys that he's been very successful, a lot of respect. I didn't know that at the time, but I learned it over the course of, of dinner. And so um don't know if you guys know much about the Scots, but uh, they do like to drink. And uh, so, <laughs> so there's a lot of alcohol that got, got consumed. And uh, well, that's and when so, all the real good stuff comes out. I'm sure when they get a little, exactly. a little exactly. That's exactly it. You know, it was like yeah. the more the more they drank, the more open they were with me, right? <laughs> so um, throughout the night, you know, everybody kind of filters out. And it was to the point that it was just me, Tom, and one other guy in, in the bar. And uh, I finally worked up the courage to ask him what I was wanting to ask him the whole night. But I kind of felt like I was somewhat alone so I could ask him. I was like, Tom, so here's the deal. Overseas, like when I see a British lab come in, this is not what I think of, right? Like I think of a dog that you know doesn't have this desire and doesn't have this motor and doesn't have you know the drive and like it's kind of sluggish. It's kind of like why is that? You know, like you've been doing this for a long time. You've sent dogs over over to America. Like why is that? And I'll never forget it. 
he uh, he had a big you know pint of beer and he's listening to me. He's kind of looking straight ahead and he takes one big sip of his his beer and he puts the beer down. He turns to me and he grins and he goes, "Josh, do you really think we're selling you our good dogs?" <laughs> and I just like I mean it was like okay. Okay, I, I get really? it, you know. So, so, so it was just it was really interesting. Um, but it was like trips like that. Now you have built the relationships of how I've been able to get some of these very special dogs you here and a part of my breeding program, part of what we do. Um, but uh, I, I know it, that was as short of a version as I can make it. Hopefully, it wasn't too long. Oh, but I it mean, was, it's, uh, it's a good. It's ah, oh, it's a good story. We're we'll we'll get into as much as we can here. Uh, today, I know your time is limited, so we, we've only got a set amount of time to, to continue this conversation. But if you're good with it, how about we do a two-part? For whatever we don't get to today, we'll, um, we'll continue for next week or as soon as we can get you back on the show. Sound good? Let's do it, man. I okay. love it. All right. So you've got British Labs. Um, and was it, the, was it the breeding that you saw over there that you wanted versus American Labs or... Was it how they trained them? Well, it, it was more, um, a lot of it had to do with the natural side of things, you know, so like there, there's such sticklers on, you know, the natural mouth, the natural retrieve. Um, I know it sounds silly, right? But it's not something that's always thought about, you know, for a retriever here in the States, like you would think that those natural traits are something that should be, and I believe it should be, but they should be a priority, right? Like you're breeding a retriever should naturally want to retrieve, naturally want to have a good mouth. Um, but that's not the case, at least not a lot of times. And I think one of the biggest reasons being is that we've learned how to train that, you know, to overcome that, right? Like we can force fetch. Okay, that's great. You know, we can we can do all these things and we can make that happen, right? And so, and that that's totally fine. You know, we do it at the kennel, right? Like we take dogs that don't have a natural retrieve or natural mouth and we manufacture it and get it out of them, right? But as a breeder, I felt like it was my my obligation to the breed as well as my clients to give them the most natural dog that you can because that's great that I can get I can train the dog to do this, but for my clients. Like I need to give them the most natural dog that I can because they don't have the tools, nor the time, nor the knowledge, nor the the you know expertise to do all that stuff. So yes, they could send the dog into a trainer, right? Such as myself. But I love when people want to train the dogs themselves. I think there's an appreciation through the process. I think there's a, a bond and a connection that you you don't necessarily get otherwise. And yeah, again, the natural side is, is, is important. So, you know, Travis, you talked about pointing dogs, right? So I yeah. think one of the most incredible things you can witness is a little pointing dog puppy see a butterfly or see something like that and just lock up and point, Yeah, right? I mean, That's it's, it's incredible. That's nothing you've done. That's just a dog reacting because of what its parents gave it, right? Exactly. Now, okay, I totally agree with you. That, that puppy has no idea why he's even doing it. Right, it's just something inside of him says that. Yeah. Why do we look at retrievers differently? Right, so like a dog, you know, runs out, grabs something, runs the other way, you know, plays keep away, right? Or you know, wants to lay down and chew on it, or wants to sh- like. We look at retrievers differently. It's like, oh, that's cute. Like we'll fix that later, right? Like 
it's amazing how many times we get a client that when you know they take a puppy home, and like right now we're sending puppies home. So we just got one this week that was like, you guys will never guess. Like I took this puppy home and I had a little puppy bumper and I threw it for him and he he went and got it and he brought it right back to me and put it right in my hand. And it's like, yeah, like that's what he was read to do, yeah. you know? And he's like, no, no, like I, I've had labs before and I get it, but like not as, not this young, like they've never done it this young before. I'm like, yeah, but that's, that's what we're going for. Right. Like that puppy quite frankly, doesn't even understand why he's doing it. Right. It's, this is what was bred into me. This is what I do. And so it's just interesting to me, the genetic side of it and what an impact that can have as far as the natural ability goes, you know, but even for a professional, so even for myself, I still want as natural of a puppy as I can, because that means I can do more with this puppy, right? And so um, that's the part that I really like, you know, about, you know, the overseas you know, aspect of it is, um, is, is that side of it. They have such a small knit community that, I mean, they really, like, if a dog isn't making it, they're not making it, you know, I mean, they're, they'll be, you know, given to a, a pet home or something like that you know like there's just not enough um there there's much less um poor quality breeding i'd say going on you know that then is done here um and so I, I love that but then the other side of it too is you know the health side of it and and just kind of the the detail oriented um health side as far as like you know the testing that gets done like man like we do literally every single health test that we can do on all of our dogs to make sure that we are not passing on anything genetically, you know, disposition wise that you could be passed on to these puppies. Right. So like, um, I mean, it's, I think we, the number just went up. I think so we just added a couple to the list, but I think it's like either 19 or 21. I wish Whitney was on here because she could, uh, she could tell you more about it. Um, but it's either 19 or 21 tests that you can do on a Labrador retriever, um, that, you know, you can see, you know, what, you know, are the carries of anything? Are they going to pass anything on to puppies? You know, and, and if they are like, you have to have the testing right on the other side too, to make sure that, that you're not going to pass anything on to these puppies. Like there's so much out there. Um, yeah, it's, it's expensive to do, but it's, again, I feel like it's the obligation of me as a breeder to be producing the happiest, healthiest puppies I can. What, and so uh, to jump in real quick, what is the most common yeah. issue that you see then when you're doing those tests? Um, so the most common issue, that's a good one. Um, so I'll tell you some of the top ones that we see. So, um, a lot of people you know, know about, you know, the, the hips and elbows, right? Like that's one that's kind of been talked about forever. Um, you know, overseas, they're very detailed and will actually score, you know, the hips and the elbows, you know, where here, you know, you get a, uh, you know, a fair, a good and excellent, you know, rating. And so you don't really, um, you know, it, it's, it's great to have, I'm not discrediting. I love the detail. I'm a very, I'm a detail oriented person. So I love the detail that goes into how they do it, you know, over there. Um, but like, that's an easy one that a lot of us know. Um, EIC exercise induced collapse is something that has, has really been more prevalent here in the States of what we've seen, um, exercise induced collapse dogs that are affected by it. Um, can literally collapse in the middle of it could be as much as you know retrieving a ball in the backyard to hunting to you know anything um you know so so that's one um uh pra is a retro a retinal atrophy you know disease we see you know we see that um uh sd2 sd2 is a very interesting one we just had a puppy come in was not bred by us but came in for training um 
you want to talk about break your heart. I mean, this little dog's name was Rosie, and Rosie had all the heart in the world. But SD2 is a dwarfism gene, and she was affected by it. And so she was a Labrador that looked like she had beagle legs, like just tiny little legs. And that girl, like, she had the heart to go work and go do anything, but her legs were just not going to let her do what she wanted to do. Um, you know, so you know, there, there's, man, there's so much out there that, uh, that you I, I guess for me, I just believe that we owe it to the dogs to be doing everything we can to make sure that the lives that we're putting on this earth are going to be healthy or as healthy as possible. There's never, ever, ever a guarantee um, when it comes to live animals of any, you know, of any species, right? But um, we can certainly do our part. And that's one of the things that, you know, I appreciated that they were doing, you know, we've definitely incorporated that. And we're not the only ones doing it. There's a lot of, you know, kennels that are doing a great job at this. Um, but it is something that like, if you're out there looking or going to be looking for a puppy, you know, it's, it's something you really got to prioritize. The Onyx Hunt app is one of the most valuable hunting tools that I take into the field every day. I talk about the Onyx Hunt app every week. That's simply because I use it on every hunt. Seriously, every hunt. Their app tells me everything that I need to know about the land that I want to hunt and the lands that we can all legally hunt on. If you've used it yourself, then you know that the Onyx app shows your location on planet Earth and clearly lays out the land boundaries. It also tells you information about the type of property you're on, like state-owned land, federal lands, and walk-in access properties. It's ideal for scouting before the hunt and during the hunt to help put together patterns. The app also has helpful features that show you the kind of crops that are in the fields, which obviously is a big deal for us upland bird hunters. These are just a few of the many tools Onyx Maps give you, and these maps can even be used in areas without cell coverage. From the palm of your hand, Onyx Maps always help you to know where you stand. Nutrisource Pet Foods just launched a new product that can give our active hunting dogs a big boost when they need it most. It's called Kampucha. Nutrisource Kampucha, inspired, of course, by kombucha, is a savory, meaty bone broth topper that's packed with activated postbiotics from a fermentation product that thrives in the gut to promote a healthy gut ecosystem for digestion support. That's a mouthful. But what it means for us bird dog owners is that we now have a healthy topper to pour over our dog's food if they're ever stressed or won't eat while on a long hunting trip. Kampucha is offered in three flavors, turkey, beef, and chicken, and comes in a 12-ounce pouch. Nutrisource high-performance dog foods provide exceptional healthy nutrition for active dogs of every breed, just like my dog, Daisy. Now they have a topper that gives our four-legged hunters another edge when they need it the most. Check out their full lineup of dog foods at NutrisourcePetFoods.com. So uh, we've got maybe 10 minutes right now left in this show. So we're going we're gonna to jump into the Retriever Roadmap. But uh, you mentioned something that you, you know, right at the beginning of our conversation when you got your first dog, you got it exactly the opposite of what you recommend people doing today when you got your puppy. So how would you recommend somebody pick out their puppy today, knowing what you know now? Well, yeah, no, that's a great question. So uh, first and foremost is um, asking yourself what it is that you need. Like, what, what are you looking for? Right. And the reason I, I ask that question or I tell people to ask themselves that question rather is because, you know, if if you're a guy that um, I'm going to use a horse term. You know, if you're if you're a guy that trail rides, you know, once a year, um, you don't need secretariat. 
right? Yeah. And you know, and and vice versa, right? Like if if you want to go race, like you don't need you know the trail horse that's twenty eight years old. And so, um, you know, that, that, that kind of uh, thought, I think, comes into play here as we look at um, what do you need? And be honest with yourself. Like, if you're the guy that hunts five times a year and this dog is going to be a part of your family and go on boat rides and go on walks and do and go to Little League games, that's great. Um, but don't go look for a dog that, you know, could be the next, you know, national field champion. You know, like, you're not looking for that, right? Um so knowing what it is that that you want, um, I man, I, I really I don't know why this is such a big deal right now, but um, it seems like everybody wants to be different. I don't get it. You know, like you know, if you've had labs forever and you're like, hey, I'm gonna get I don't know, pick a uh, wire hair, right? Like, yeah, I'm gonna get wire hair because it's different. Like, that's not a reason to get a breed of dog. Like, that might be a reason to get, like get a color of a car. But it's not to get a breed of dog, right? Like, yeah. like that that dog is bred different than you're used to. Is likely not going to have the same traits of what you're looking at. And then all then then there's like you know shade thrown on the dog of like oh this this like it's not the dog. It's like you just weren't honest with yourself of what you needed. Like you know, there's a reason that the Labrador is the most popular breed out there is because is it that worldwide? Because I know in boxes. America the Labs are the most popular breed in America. But is that worldwide? That's a good question. I don't know about worldwide. Um, I, I would, I guess, I would have a hunch that's probably true. But I, I know America wise, of course, that's kind of where I, I centralize my focus on. But, yeah. um, but it is, yeah, it is America, and that's why, right? Because like our dogs are family members here. You know, like they go places with us, they do things with us, and the lab temperament fits a lot of that. You know, like I just talked to a lady today on the phone, super super nice lady, and she's struggling with. Um, you know, her dog and she's like, he's just, he's just naughty all the time. He's always getting into stuff and he's just anxious. And, uh, well, they, they got a Vishla and they live in an apartment and, you know, they, they maybe walk the dog or take the dog out to the bathroom. Once so it's like, you know, that, that breed of dog was meant to go. You yeah. know, like, yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to blame the dog for it. And so, um, yeah. And so I think that's the first part. The second part is, um, get with a breeder you can really trust and, and you can have the conversations with them and really dig like, that's a big deal because this is not, you know, to me, this isn't a, a transaction, right? Like you're just not going to go pick up this little ball of fur. Here's my check. Give me my puppy. And then you're gone because like, there's stuff that you want to know, you know, what were the, what were mom and dad? Like, what were the temperaments? Like, you know, what, what were their accomplishments? What was their drive? What was their, like, you got to know, or you got to feel like, you know, you know, from, uh, from the owner. And then I, when it comes to like the pedigree side of things, man, I kind of straddle the fence on this a little bit because, you know, like titles are very important. You know, I think, um, you know, hunt test titles, you know, field trial titles, they are very important. Um, you know, I, my background would, I'd hopefully, you know, would believe that since I spent so much time and, and, uh, and money pursuing that. But, um, it is important because, it, it shows you the level of what these dogs are capable of, um, you know, specifically mom and dad and grandpa and grandma, right? So, like, yeah. more times than not, when I hear someone and they're like, hey, I'm going to look for a puppy, I'm like, all right, so what are you looking for? Nine times out of ten, it's word for word the same response, which is, I'm not looking for a field trial dog. I'm not looking for a hunt test dog. I just want a, I just want a good hunting dog, okay? So, that doesn't mean you discredit the titles, okay? Because... That is what is showing that that's proof that the dogs had this type of level of trainability, of accomplishment, of talent, of drive, of everything, right? Yep. If you go to a breeder and they're just like, my dogs are great hunting dogs. Well, 
like define what that means, right? Because like Travis, your your definition of excuse me, your definition of great is probably different than mine, which is different than Brandon's, which is different than anybody's listening, right? Like, what's your definition? And this is something I really would like to dig into in part two if we can. Sure. Um, like I I believe if we're all being honest with ourselves, I believe that most retrievers that are out there hunting in an upland field are out of control ninety percent of the time. Really? realistically right like i think so that's a bold you know, i mean statement. like how many yeah, times I'm curious to know i, I know yeah. it is yeah. I, I know it is and and i'm not saying your dog right like if you're listening i'm not saying your dog but if you look at the group right look at the guys you're home with like how many guys are hollering at their dog all the time or oh. blowing whistles non-stop it's or like i mean it's it's, it's unreal it is yeah. it is right and so that's why i'm saying like those dogs are out of control right and so like if, if someone's definition, like how many times have you gone to like an outfitter or something like that, that has, you know, great dogs and you talk about these dogs and you go and you're like, what the heck? Like, you know, this isn't how I hunt or this isn't what I would say is a great dog. Right. But like in their eyes, the dog is a great dog. Yeah. Right. And so that's what I mean. Like definition is great because like, you know, in that situation, if you were to get puppies from that, that person, not knowing the dogs, Hey, they're great dogs, blah, blah, blah. You get them. You're like, gosh, this wasn't really what I was looking for. Right. Yeah. Like, titles are important but you also can't put all your weight in titles and actually it's funny uh for me i keep the titles off of my dogs when you go to my website you go to riverstone kennels you go on my website you look at at my dogs you won't see any titles on my dogs they all have them but you won't see them and the reason you won't see them is because i don't want people pedigree shopping i don't want people going oh you know okay so brock's a master hunter hunter retriever champion yeah that's what i want because two reasons. One, you know, that's not the relationship I want with you. I want I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you about Brock, who he is, what makes him tick, what makes him special, what his flaws are, you know, what is it a fit for you. But then the other thing too is that I, I don't want there to be some kind of misconception that, hey, just because dad did this means automatically his puppy should do this. Right? Like there's a lot of work and a lot of time and a lot of sweat and a lot of tears I've gone into building these dogs to this point. That doesn't happen overnight. And so, um, yeah, I think, you know, that's where I say I kind of straddle the fence there. I think they're, I think titles are very important. I think, you know, it, it's up to perception what a dog is other than that. Like that's the proof. Right. Well, you and, also can't and, put all your weight into it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you can take a great dog with great mom and dad, great genes, everything, you know, and that dog could fail in the field based on what you do or don't do helping them. So that's why, you know, I think, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but I, I have to imagine that's why you develop, you know, obviously the training that you do at your kennel and all the dogs you work with, but also being able to help other people understand their dogs and learn how to train, which is the basis for your retriever roadmap system, correct? Yeah. Yeah. You know, retriever roadmap really came from a number of things. So first off, it's taken years to develop this. So if anyone's looking at, you know, wanting to train their own dog at home, um, this is a step-by-step uh, -step video program that goes through a breakdown, you know, each step with a video. I use different dogs. I use dogs that are brand new to the drills. I, I go through step-by-step, kind of, you know, what to do, how to do it. Um, and then the roadmap piece of it, the idea is that no two dogs are going to be the same as far as how they progress through things. Just like, you know, Travis, if you and I both started in minneapolis and drove to you know somewhere in south dakota to go you know meet up and hunt we'd probably take two different routes right like i might want to take the, the interstate you might want to take the county roads whatever it is well 
we're both getting to where we want to go, but we're just well taking what route is best for us, right? And I always take that's the, the idea road, by here. The way. I always take the county <laughs> road. Last <laughs> night I had that same. Like I was at a place, and I and it, you know when you pull it up on the map, you get like two or three options, and I'm like, give me the most rural option that I can choose. I always take the the dusty road if I can. Anyway, sorry, right. keep going. Right. No. Well, and, but that's the point, right? Is like, everyone's going to take a different route. And so, you know, like there's different points in here. So, um, e-collar is a big topic. Like, do you want to use the e-collar? Great. Here's your route. Do you not want to? Great. Here's your route. And then you kind of follow your, your path as far as how you progress along. Um, so it, it's really a neat thing. It's taken years to develop, but really it, it, it had a couple solves for me. So the first one being at the kennel, I wanted to be able to send people home with something that they could go and keep up with their, their dog and the training that the dog has had. Because up to this point, like I, I couldn't do that. Like, yeah, we, we bring people in, we train them, but you know, what happens when they go home? Because like Travis, you and I know, and most people listening know these dogs aren't robots, right? Like yeah. the training doesn't get done and they're programmed. Now they just go home and live the next 10 years of their life completely flaw free. And they just keep, you know, that retention. Yeah. It doesn't happen that way. Right. So now I can say, all right, guys, here's what your dog has done. You know, steps, you know, this through this to progress forward. You're going to want to do this through this. Here's how you want to do them and send them home. And it allows them to be able to be successful. And what's fun is that people are enjoying working with their dogs more because they can see it. And they're like, I know I'm doing this right now. Yeah. So that, that's been really fun. The other part is, man, <clears throat> we get people that call the kind of all the time that they're just, they're, they're looking for advice. And, um, I like, like you said at the beginning, like, I just love helping people. And so I love taking that time, but from a business standpoint, it gets very tough, right? Because it's like, great. Like I just spent an hour and a half with this person walking them through, you know, how to get their golden retriever to sit and which is great. I love that I did that, but I've also got 30 dogs in the kennel that <laughs> right, I'm being paid right. to train, you know, and like, I need to communicate with them. And so it was, it was really difficult because all it takes is two, three phone calls a day like that. And it feels like your whole day is gone. And so it was a way that I could very clearly be like, Hey, understand what you're saying. This is awesome. I think if you follow this step of this program it would really help you. And the, the other thing was the, the understanding, right? Because like you and I, and guys like George and all those guys, like we can talk about this stuff because like we, we all know the lingo, right? Like, so if I talk about, you know, um, you know, force fetching or I talk about whole conditioning, I talk about like, like it all makes sense to you, right? Well, someone that isn't used to it, it doesn't. And so by having a video that's like, oh, I can watch how I do this. I can watch what it's supposed to look like. And watch the steps of how to get there. It just adds clarity. And that, that's what the tough part was with those phone calls is how do you, how do you articulate well enough to let people understand exactly what you're talking about and how to go be successful. It was just really tough, but now you're just being able to visually see it and absorb it. It makes people that much more successful at it. And so um, it's been great, man, like so much great feedback. So many people just, you know, loving, you know, using the process. Um, and there's a lot of cool stuff that that's in there too, that is kind of above and beyond the program itself. So, um, but it, it's been great. It's, it's been a, a great, great piece of, uh, of our business. Well, let's, let's, uh, wrap it up there. Cause I know you have to go. Um, and we've got, um, uh, another show that Brandon has to record here in a, in a couple of minutes. So let's do this. The retriever roadmap basically lays out like this. You've got bullet points, train the retreat, train the trainer, puppy, mm -hmm. foundation, intermediate, trained retrieve, advanced, community, 
uh, in weekly tips, right? I think, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> I think, you know, we can break down our next show together by those topics because once we get into each one of those, we're going to be able to discuss and kind of break down, you know, how to work with your dog in each one of those. Um, are you good with that? I'm great with that, man. I think that'd be great. Okay, perfect. Uh, I know you're going to chase turkeys, so we're going to have to figure out how to sneak this in, but we'll, we'll do this afterwards. Uh, Brandon and I will, we'll figure out a time when we can, we get the second part going, but you've got, uh, just a great, great, uh, story on how you got where you got and it's fascinating. So I appreciate you sharing all of that with us. Um, hopefully, uh, the listeners are excited to, to learn more about, you know, how your hands-on approach is to work with these dogs from puppy to, um, you know, all the levels to advanced, uh, that way they can then, you know, work with their dogs as well. So we will be back with part two, hopefully next week, if not, you know, maybe the week after, but it'll happen quick. Um, I appreciate you all for listening today. I appreciate all the feedback from listeners the last couple weeks. Um, and we will continue to, uh, keep the conversation going. And if you guys have more guest ideas, topics you want us to cover, please let us know. And we will dive into those, uh, from Brandon and I, uh, we appreciate you listening. Thanks so much we'll be back next week with another episode of the flush podcast i'm travis frank reminding you to take the time to introduce someone new to the field